This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition. I'm Billy Embody. And we have a ton to get to on this podcast. We've got subscriber questions, a little bit on SMU Tulsa, and then we are going to talk some recruiting on the other side of the pod. I do want to say, though, if you're interested in that recruiting um, side of the podcast, we're going to be dropping a big recruiting podcast during the bye week as I'll run down the 2020 class, position by position, where things stand, some targets to know, all those things. So look out for that next week. Also, I'm scheduled to catch up with former SMU basketball player Nick Russell, who's been playing overseas the past couple of years and is coming off a big game. So excited to catch up with Nick Russell later today, uh, which is Thursday, as you guys are listening to this. I'm going to catch up with Nick and, and see how he's been. So I do want to dive right in. I'll lead off with SMU Tulsa. This is a game where SMU is is double-digit favorite, big-time 15-point, 14-point, depending on where you find it, favorites. And this is certainly a game that is going to be similar to Texas State in the early going, where SMU is going to kind of have to find a way to manufacture offense, figure it out. They run a three-man front. They're really, really big. I was was out of practice on, on Thursday morning before I just now recorded this podcast and and catching up with some people and 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 it's it was just like Sonny Dyke said at the radio show. They're just so big up front. I mean, they're backup nose tackles, 6'4, 340. They have length, they have size everywhere. So it's kind of a situation where SMU is gonna want, I think, to get their guys in space, get them the ball, because they are a bigger defense, so they they might not run as well as as others do. But the thing about it is, is they are so long, they are so big that there isn't as much space um, again for for them to kind of move around and get get their guys into space. So SMU is going to have to just kind of keep trucking along, keep running the football. I think Xavier Jones will be fine. Cayman Freeman's going to be fine. All of that, and they'll be ready to go. And and I think TJ McDaniel's. You'll see some of him as well uh, in this one. Defensively. SMU does have to shut down Zach Smith and then uh, Shamari Brooks, their running back, uh, who's off to a good start this season. And other than that, I'm not overly worried about Tulsa's offense being a difference maker. I think Zach Smith has the talent. He's got a big arm. He is talented. He's playing pretty well. He hasn't thrown many interceptions. So SMU is going to have to find a way to continue to force turnovers. This is a game where, again, Zach Smith has been playing pretty clean football. They have two losses against two pretty good football teams in the Power 5 ranks. So this will be kind of a battle, but I, I do think SMU is going to win. I, I I see them winning by by 17 or so. I think they cover. I just feel like this is a game where certainly I think it could play out that SMU doesn't cover, just kind of the way the matchup is. But I think in the end, SMU is more talented. They're more athletic. And I think that's going to win out in the end. It'll be interesting to see how Shane Bouchelle does in this one with some of the length they have in the secondary. He's going to have to find some of the uh, the, the windows that are that are 
tighter than they normally are because of that length and, and, and size on this defense. So he'll have to be precise with the football, but I like Shane Bouchel in this offense to carry them once again, score over 40 points, which is something they've been doing since, you know, dating back to last year. This is a team that I, I feel pretty good about, uh, especially after seeing them in practice. They're really locked in, ready to go. I feel like they'll be able to handle business against Tulsa. So you can catch more of our coverage on SMU Tulsa on PonyStampede.com. We have some previews up, players to know, things like that, a Q&A with, with Kelly Hines, the, the Tulsa beat writer as well. So check out check that out. We'll have our game preview on Friday, preview and predictions as always too. So now on to a lot of the questions on our board that I took from, from our subscribers this week. I'll answer a lot of the questions on the board as I kind of go through them, but I did kind of slot it to certainly be a, a little bit more conversational rather than just going line by line in the podcast. Now, I did drop a piece on the red shirts and where things stand five games in on some of the red shirts that SMU is looking like they're going to have this year. Uh, a couple of them that, that are of note, I think Ulysses Bentley is one that I think you end up seeing red shirt, especially if TJ McDaniel is the one that continues to go with the uh, with the offense. And then another one that I was asked about on the board, any surprise red shirts? Tyler Page is, is one that has burned his red shirt. He's played five games. Uh, he's a special teamer, so he's not going to red shirt. He's not going to get an extra year. One that is interesting, though, is Christian Davis, the uh, senior corner. He hasn't red shirted during his time at SMU. Remember, he played as a true freshman after Chad Morris signed him. And he's red shirting, it looks like, this year. He's played in one game. Looks like he could be destined for a red shirt. Sam Westfall, the junior college corner they signed in the last cycle, he looks like he's destined for a red shirt because he's a he's also a four for three guy. So they can red shirt him and then still have three years of Sam Westfall around. And it's kind of funny when you sign junior college guys, most of the time you think, well, why isn't he playing right away? Well, sometimes guys like Brian Holloway on one hand, who's a linebacker, has already played in five games. He was a four for three guy. Sam Westfall, on the other hand, he's played in one game, I believe, and looks like he's headed for a red shirt. So it looks like they're going to also be able to red shirt Donald Clay at safety and Roderick Robert uh, Roberson at safety, while Chase Cromartie has played in all five games on, on that end. Looks like offensive lineman Danielson E.K., Tay Brooks, going to red shirt. Looks like they're going to try to red shirt all of the receivers, but I think Rasheed Rice is the one with the most likely ability to to not redshirt this year he's a backup to judah bell who's been banged up but as long as judah's back for tulsa looks like they're going to try to redshirt Rasheed rice as well now kind of on to the linebacker running back question that that uh, i've been asked which is you know am would i be concerned about the running back situation no i'm not i think if you can get through this game with xavier jones healthy which they're going to try to do it'll be big they're being careful with him he's had injury history and, and so they shut him down for the rest of the USF game. But I think he's going to be fine. Same with Cayman Freeman. He's going to be fine. Um, you will see a, a TJ McDaniel a little bit more, which Sonny said on, on at his radio show, which makes sense with the way he's playing and the amount of time he's played. But it's all about managing their bodies. I mean, you're five games in. you you got a 6-1 coming up, and, and then you have a bye week. So if you can get through this one and figure it out, I think they'll be in, in great shape moving forward as, as the running backs will be able to recharge and, and, and kind of move forward. On the flip side of the uh, the uh, ball, 
the defensive side of the ball with the linebackers, with, with Richard McBride stepping in at middle linebacker. I was asked kind of how that depth chart actually works out. And and so, look, Richard McBride steps in for Richard Moore, who will be back and ready for, for next year by the time he has surgery and recovers and all of those things. McBride steps in. He's played well. He's struggled in coverage at times in one-on-one situations, but for the most part, he's been really strong. Now, at outside linebacker, it's been Delano Robinson and Shane Haley, and then it's Patrick Nelson, and we've seen a lot of Jimmy Phillips out there. We've seen Brian Holloway play, and that's kind of where Brian Holloway's been key is he's versatile. So he's played a little bit behind Richard McBride, but they've also relied on Preston Ellison, who came in when Richard McBride went down, and then before McBride came back in against USF. So that's the depth chart is actually working out exactly kind of how the PR folk on the depth chart posted it. And and I think the linebacking crew, you get everyone back next year outside of Pre, uh, uh, outside of Patrick Nelson. And so you'll get him back or you'll, you'll lose him, which sucks obviously, but they have a lot of talent and competition at that, in that room. And as they get older, these guys are going to continue to put on weight, especially guys like Jimmy Phillips, JC wrist press and Preston Ellison. And they'll kind of look the part as, as they get older a little bit more than they do now. I think that room is a little underrated in terms of where it's at. I think they need to add a linebacker to the room in this class, especially in the middle. But look, I think it's in good shape for the most part. Now, kind of moving on as we look ahead, here's the deal. And I'll start with the SMU Tulsa game in terms of attendance. I think you're going to see a considerable boost in attendance. I don't think anybody thinking five, anybody thinking like 10,000 extra people, and a 25, 28,000 show out, I, I think you're a little off base. And Sonny said as much on the on the pot, on the um, AAC teleconference. It takes time. I mean, people plan trips, people plan their weekends. I have a wedding this weekend, for example, which you know is what it is in football season. But look, it, it take it's going to take time for the big crowd to show up. But I can tell you this: players are not having extras for their teammates for extra family that's coming in for other players to use everybody's using their tickets they can't share them like they do in the past now on the other side of things there's plenty of SMU fans that usually have extra tickets that are that don't have extras people are all already calling them out you know claiming them things like that so I think you're going to see a nice boost the athletic department doesn't have to do anything extra they have Facebook Instagram Twitter Marketing out there. We've seen Sonny Dykes go on uh, more radio, go on more television this week. The people that think, well, what 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 can the athletic department do that's catchy, that's gimmicky to get more people in the stands? That money spent is not worth the time because the people that need the gimmick to come weren't going to come anyway, and they're not a loyal type of fan, right? And and I know SMU wants that. To wants to be like your if you're a Texas fan or an AM fan, your second favorite team, you've got to develop that organically rather than like they have with the city of Dallas marketing or giving them a decent price at tickets. Look, every game this year, they've had ticket deals for people, whether it be in 104 or 105, they've done those deals that are kind of themed. They're doing the same for Tulsa. There's plenty of marketing, but in terms of the big splashy stuff, that doesn't make sense. It's money not well spent. You're better off targeting people on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, things like that to actually get your bang for your buck in terms of your marketing. 
So that's what the athletic department continues to do. They've done it. It's been working. If you see the uh, teacher appreciation deal that they're doing as well for this game, that's been buzzing on Twitter. I've seen that shared a lot. So overall, I think you'll see a considerable boost for attendance, but it's nothing crazy that they're doing to, to get extra butts in the seats. The team's winning. Let it happen naturally, and, and it will. Now, looking ahead to the rest of the season, next week on the podcast, we'll definitely do a deep dive kind of into the rest of the season predictions, kind of updating those. So we'll save those for next week. But in terms of how SMU stays in the top 25 at the end of the season, in terms of what kind of bowl situation they could be looking at, look, you, I think they've got to win 10 games to stay in the top 25 for the most part, I would say. Maybe nine, maybe. But a, a nine-win season at this point where they're at would be a disappointment, so I wouldn't see them in the top 25 at that point. Ten wins gets you into the top 25 at the end of the year, in my opinion, especially with a win over TCU. And then, but look, to if if you if if SMU wins out, which they do have a le- legitimate chance of running the table, they do. I mean, the the lone game they're not favored in is Memphis, and it's a toss up right now. It's fifty fifty on the ESPN FPI, and I bet you that game. I I don't have an early line on it or anything, but I bet you it's like a a three two and a half type point game in terms of the the um, the books. So. Basically, SMU would just get credit for being the the road team. So you're favored. You're, you're not favored because um, being at home is worth three points, I believe. So now, if they win out, it's going to get them into like a New Year's Six, like that. Like they'll be top fifteen. They'll be the group of five representative, just like UCF was last year going to the Fiesta Bowl. The Cotton Bowl is the one this year, and I, I can tell you, it's a real thing that SMU can go to that if they win out. And it'll be quite the matchup, and obviously it'd be huge for the program. And by the way, what a couple days that would be. You've got the Winter Classic in Dallas on New Year's Day, and then the Cotton Bowl is January 2nd this year. I'm checking right now. But what a matchup. If you want to if you want to look ahead, uh, sorry, it's January uh, 1st. Okay, that night, so 7.30 p.m. So what a day for Dallas. You could have the Winter Classic. And then SMU playing that night in the Cotton Bowl in Jerry World. Wow! It so running the table gets them in. They've got it. They've got to obviously win the AAC title game as well. But look, it's a real thing. They can do it. We've seen how well they play against TCU. TCU is the best team on their schedule, in my opinion, the best overall team, especially Memphis. We'll see how things go. Memphis has looked up and down at times. They've beaten a bad Ole Miss team, but they played also really well. So. Look, we'll just win out. I mean, that's the that's the that's the limit for this team. That's where it can go, and that's where I think people's heads should be at when talking about this team. They've shown that they can win big games. They've shown they can be mature about it and go down to USF and beat the heck out of somebody after a big win. So there's some things that they have to clean up. I mean, the offensive line can play better. I think run blocking wise, they can get better, which is kind of scary in a way. And and we'll see how that goes throughout conference play. Defensively, they have their moments where they certainly, you know, lose contain here and there on a rush, you know, allow third down conversions, things like that. But they've got things like that to clean up. And then special teams, special teams can be cleaned up for sure. So I think that's what Sonny's talking about when he's saying they haven't reached their potential yet. And, um, you know, playing full 60 minutes. I think last week, Sonny was able to get a good point across in terms of playing 60 minutes, not taking their foot off the gas. 
and doing all of that. Now, in terms of the rest of the Bulls and kind of if they don't win out, I think depending on – look, you can take talk in hypotheticals all day. I think the Frisco Bull will be a logical one. There are other destination bulls like in Florida, the Gasparilla Bull and then the Boca Raton Bull that I think would be ones that SMU would be in line for. It's kind of – you know, SMU communicates with the AAC. The AAC communicates with the bulls. The bulls communicate with the schools. It's all just this kind of big mesh of of, of – conversations that start happening with three three or four games to go you'll I mean if you follow kind of Twitter when big games are being played late in the year you'll you'll see like a beat writer tweet out oh members of the Peach Bowl or, or in the the Fiesta Bowl are here tonight to watch the game which is kind of crazy that officials send official or bowls send officials to watch games in person but that's just me so all of that is just kind of an ongoing conversation so if they go 10 and two I think there's a decent chance they'll play in the Frisco Bowl, but you know there could be a, a path to the Independence Bowl. Maybe there's there's path to playing in Florida. It, it's there's just no set answer for you. So in terms of those who have asked about bowl games, I'm sorry I don't really have a decent answer for you on the bowl games. Now, um, speaking of the athletic department, somebody asked me, does the athletic department monitor Pony Stampede, and have I received positive, negative, or co- coercive? feedback um yes they they monitor they monitor the site yeah i mean that that's how it goes I, I i don't think i've ever been threatened or anything like that i mean i've written things at times that people will text me and say like wow that was like you went at him or whatever i mean i wrote the piece about tim jankovic last year um in terms of where i thought the program was that that certainly got some texts um from some people, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I run this site and there are things we have to hold. I mean, injury news and things that I know there's really not as much as you guys might think, but for the most part, we get positive feedback from, from what we do. I mean, I feel like we cover the team fairly. We're not homers. Um, I'm more on the optimistic side of everything, but that's just kind of how I am as a person. So, but I mean, I, I feel like we back everything up that we say, um, so yes, the athletic department and, and coaching staffs monitored the site, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're journalists and, and we cover the team. And, and so we're, and especially in our setting, in our market, we're supposed to give our opinion more than anything. Like you guys want to know what I think or what Phil, what Phil thinks or Tommy thinks or Matt thinks, um, we got to give that to you. And, and whether it's right, wrong, or whether it's positive, negative, we've got to give that to you. So yeah, they, they monitor it, but. It, it's more, it, it's not as, they, they trust us for the most part and, and it's not intrusive or ever a negative thing for the most part. Now, finally moving on, going to wrap up this part of the podcast, early NFL draft type of predictions. Who goes to the combine, who gets drafted, what round and what uh, undrafted free agents make rosters next year. This will be a good one where I can go in depth you know, much more after the season. But in terms of somebody who's going to make the combine, I think James Prochet is going to make the combine. I don't think there's any question about that. From there, I think you'd see Xavier Jones get a look, training camp type invite. I think you could see C.J. Sanders potentially get a combine invite. Ryan Becker will find a spot. And the thing about Ryan, too, is is if he was able to focus on long snapping, he could be like Zach Wood where he goes on to play in the league as a long snapper. 
I think Delonte Scott's playing himself into some NFL tryouts. I don't necessarily think he's going to get drafted, but he's definitely playing his way into some looks. Pat Nelson, same story. I could see him being like a seventh round pick, depending on how he tests, you know, five, six, seven. He's been so productive. He's been healthy this year. So guys like that. Um, And then other than that, Rodney Clemens, I think will get looks, all those things. But for the most part, it's, um, it's a pretty, you know, I think James Prochet is a top end, right? He's the guy that, that's going to get the attention. He's the guy that can go to the combine and, and do all of that. So, yeah, that is kind of where I see things going for, for them, for all of that. So, you know, he's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they've got a pretty good, group, pretty good group of guys that, you know, can, can make NFL rosters and, and certainly – certainly end up uh, playing in the big leagues next year. So with that, guys, we'll dive into that a little bit more later on after the season, kind of do some draft stock stuff. But with that, I'm going to wrap up this part of the podcast. We're going to take a quick break. We'll cover some recruiting stuff. And also I'll sound off on the new California law that was signed into action uh, earlier this week. So with that, we're going to take a quick break from the Pony Stampede podcast. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back to the Pony Stampede Podcast. Thanks for listening. Quick reminder to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button to the podcast. And also, a big thank you to all of the those who listen to the pod that subscribe to PonyStampede.com. We're at an all-time high right now. We just hit another milestone, over 500 SMU fans now on Pony Stampede. So we appreciate all of you guys that are signing up, subscribing. Can't do it without you. You guys are why we do it and why we continue to push out the content that we do. So thank you. You guys make so many things possible with uh, the way you guys are subscribing, spreading the word about Pony Stampede and all of that. So jumping into some recruiting, did have a basketball recruiting question. Devontae Davis, a 2020 point guard, reopened his recruitment. He uh, decommitted from Oklahoma State and um, is, is one of the top point guards in the country. Now, I know Devontae plays for Woods Elite. He was somebody that SMU was on early in the process before he committed to Oklahoma State. I've placed my crystal ball pick on Arkansas for him to land uh, there. I don't think SMU has... Well, I know SMU doesn't have a 2020 spot open, especially with Emmanuel Bandamel ending up with a three-year term of eligibility that the NCAA ruled on. 
but I could see them coming around. So so that's why I put my I put my pick on Arkansas. I don't see SMU going all in on a 2020 kid in the in the early signing period. We'll see kind of how things shake out in the late um, in the late uh, rec- recruiting cycle. Will they have a spot open by then? Now I have heard that one of the players that they are on is a six seven wing. Tyon Grant Foster, KT Turner was up to watch him last weekend, and he'll watch him again this weekend as some junior college ball gets underway here in Dallas. He's out of Kansas. He's out of um, Iowa uh, Iowa Hills. I think Indian Hills. Sorry, Indian Hills. He's 6'7", 185. He's been playing really well. Um, this year hasn't gotten underway yet, but last year in eight minutes a game, he was averaging 8.2 points per game. And he was shooting 37% from the floor. He's not a three-point range type guy. But somebody that people are in recruiting circles have really, really jumped on. And he's a good rebounder, 4.2 rebounds per game. Again, only 7.8 minutes per game last year coming off the bench at, at Indian Hills. He's going to have a big, big year in his second year over there. So keep an eye on him as somebody that SMU could target to kind of add into the wing situation there for them I mean you've got to have your eye eye on some guys that could graduate and transfer and move on I mean from Will Douglas CJ White some of these guys that are on the wing that could move on they'll certainly have uh, their eye on on uh, Tyon Grant Foster so did want to pass that name uh, along to you guys now I'm going to kind of go rapid fire on this portion of the podcast in terms of the 2020 recruiting class Great questions from Shore. Again, we're going to cover in-depth on the podcast the entire 2020 cycle next po- next week. So during the bye, we're going to have an all-recruiting podcast. So look out for that. But here are my answers to Shore's questions from Artboard. Are you satisfied with where SMU is in recruiting for the 2020 class right now? So I'm going to preference this by saying, like, I don't look, I don't sit here at any point of the year and ever say, well, are they in good shape, bad shape? I kind of look at it from an entire picture and, and see where it can go. And that's why I'm satisfied with it, with where they are. They're monitoring a couple different positions for evals on senior year. They're going to be out in full force next year or next week, evaluating these guys during their bye week and really kind of slotting their board from there. We'll get a good idea of kind of where they stand in terms of some of these positions like corner running back positions like that. But I love where they're at with the wide receiver position. They don't have a commit yet, but they're in on some guys. They're right there in the thick of things. And if they keep playing well, they're probably going to land someone pretty big. And then on the defensive side of the ball, defensive tackle is critical. They're in a good spot for Devin Drew, the junior college defensive tackle. Sawyer Gorham Welch has him in his top three. We'll see how things go. But yeah, I I am overall uh, um, satisfied with where SMU is in, in the 2020 recruiting class. In terms of how many high school kids SMU expects to take, how many JUCOs and how many holding spots for transfers, there's not a set answer to this. So, like, let me be very clear. But I would see them probably signing five or so more high school-type prospects at the most, and then a couple junior college players, two to three. So corner, defensive line, offensive line. I've got a crystal ball pick in on Dimitri Jordan. That's kind of two to three, so that puts you at about 18 theoretically, and then they're always going to hold two, three spots for transfers, in my opinion. So there's no set answer. We'll see what happens with attrition across the board on this team. There's a lot of juniors that could move on. 
graduate, not play at SMU next year. So that could open up spots for transfers that they don't have currently. The recruiting strategy going forward in 2020 is exactly what we've said it's been since the summer. They took their guys that they loved over the summer. They had guys in for camp like Raylan Sharp who blew them away. Marcus Bryant blew them away. Guys like that. And then they have an offensive line heavy class and their defensive ends who they like as well. Mason Mastroff, Jay Bell. They were satisfied taking those guys. They love all of those guys that they took over the summer. And now, again, it's being patient. They needed to hit on running backs, so they said, okay, instead of taking a commitment in the 2020 class in the summer, we're going to watch some of these guys like Isaac Johnson, Kendall Taylor, some of the guys, other guys we've mentioned on the board before. So the recruiting strategy is very much based on senior seasons. And now that SMU is playing really well, they're also going to be selective too. They're not using official visits during the season for the most part, and they are being patient. So it's a patient approach. When can the fans expect to see more commitments and what positions? No clue. These are 17, 18-year-old kids. Right now, I don't have an answer for you in terms of anybody that is supposed to decide anytime soon. I think one player that has really kind of set a timeline is Sawyer Gorham Welch, who wants to be decided before the playoffs start. So that's a guy that they're in the thick of things for and has a timeline in place. On the other side of things, junior college guys usually take official visits in December and decide around that and then sign around that time. In terms of primary targets at each position, where I think SMU stands with each right now, I will cover that on next week's podcast. Too much to go into, but I will go position by position throughout the entire 2020 class of SMU targets and commits, break down where things stand and share my thoughts next week. Just too much to get to on this week's pod. And I want to dedicate an entire podcast to it anyway. So that'll kind of cover all the recruiting things. We're going to post our visitor list for SMU on for the SMU Tulsa game on Friday. I'm expecting at least one big name that uh, people will be pretty amped to see on there. I do know that Carl Taylor, SMU commit from Midland Lee, will be back on campus as well. So look for more of the big names um, to hit campus this weekend. And look, guys, I there's a lot of momentum right now for them in recruiting. I know people want to see commitments but I'm hearing a lot of good things both in 2021 and some guys popping up onto their radar in 2020 that will certainly be ones to watch going forward. So with that, I'm going to close by kind of giving my thoughts on the new California law, allowing players to profit off of their own image and likeness and all that. I think it's great. I think players should be able to make whatever money they can on the side. And as long as it's Look, I mean, here's the thing. I like, I'm like. i a big believer in the free market. So if somebody wants to pay a player to sign autographs, to, you know, 20 grand, let them. I mean, it's insane to me, but let them. They're not going to get that. That's not like, that's just not kind of in the cards of how it will work, in my opinion. So let them do it. Let people spend their money the way they want to and let players earn the money that they can on the side. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Again, let the free market decide it. But even Shane Bouchelle, I don't think people are going to be paying $1,000 a pop to see him or spend time with him or whatever, or James Prochet or any of those guys. Like, no offense to them, but the market will dictate that they're just not going to get that money. They might get 100 bucks, you know, a pop or something like that, maybe, but this won't be as much money as people are thinking. So I'm fine with the law. Do it. I think it, to an extent, can be in a recruiting advantage, but... Look, as long as the NCAA is saying you're going to be ineligible if you take extra benefits, I mean, it doesn't really matter. So 
We'll see how the lawsuits and everything play out. The law actually doesn't go into effect until 2023, so there's plenty of time on that. But overall, I'm for the law, for players getting whatever they can on the side. I don't think schools should be paying them extra um, as well. Schools lose enough money for the most part on on athletics to begin with. So with that, guys, going to wrap up this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys have a great weekend watching SMU try to move to 6-0. Against Tulsa, 6.30 p.m. Central on ESPNU. We'll have all your coverage here on Pony Stampede. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.